Hey, it's Dr. David Phillips. Welcome to this episode of the Phil Files Christian Edition, where we look at the lectionary texts for the upcoming week. Thanks for joining. Hope you enjoy it today. Hey, welcome to the Phil Files Christian Edition. We're looking at the lectionary for March 12th, the third Sunday in Lent, and uh, the the scripture we're going to use today, the text we're going to use today, is the gospel text from John 4, 5 through 42. This is one of my favorite passages, and I've preached it a bunch. Um, and uh, so so I, I want to kind of walk through it uh, in story form. And I'm actually going to start back in verse 4, uh, because I think it makes a very poignant Point. Um, so verse 4 says that, that uh, he had to go through Samaria on the way. He was going to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria to get there. Now, he didn't really. There were a couple of options that uh, to get to Galilee that he could have used. One is he could come down, he could take a boat, he could go around Samaria and uh, and then down to Galilee. So he could do that. The second thing that he could do is he could um, go far west around um, Samaria and then into Galilee. That would have taken a lot longer. The most direct route was straight through Samaria, and that's what he chose to do. But the text says he had to go through there. The reality is he didn't. He had options, but he had to go. And he had to go because he knew who was going to be there And when they were going to be there. This is the Samaritan woman text. And we we know, you know, the the issue that Jews and Samaritans have. Samaritans uh, were half-breeds. They were people who uh, the Jews didn't care for. They didn't, uh, they didn't use the, the, they didn't follow the same rules as the Jews. They didn't use the totality of of the stories uh, from the Old Testament that the Jews did. There was just, again, they were half-breeds. They had intermarried with people who had moved there from various locations. And the Jews just didn't like them. And um, they would avoid them at all cost. Now, again, the text says Jesus had to go there. He had to go through Samaria. And so he is making this journey to Galilee, and he comes to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to son, his son Joseph. So this was a, an important place in Jewish history. And, uh, you know, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. Um, and so he sat by the well. It was about noontime. So, so Jesus and his disciples had been walking for some time. 
It was uh, in the heat of the day. It was noon. They come to a very important place in the life of Jewish history, uh, of Israel's history, where Jacob had given uh, a well to Joseph, his favored son. And it was noontime. And the disciples had gone into town to buy food. So they had... Jesus, they had come to the well. Jesus decides to stay. He sends the disciples ahead uh, to the city to buy food. And so he's sitting there by himself. And, and you can imagine he's looking out across this desert plain or this, this plain, and he sees her coming. And she's walking toward him. Now, this was a woman, and Jews, men did not interact with women. So we've got, so we've got this double whammy going on um, in this text of uh, a Jew, uh, the Jewish um, Samaritan issue, and we have the male-female issue. So the Samaritan woman is coming to the well at noon to draw water. Now, this was important. You drew your water in the morning and you drew your water late in the afternoon or early evening because it's when it was cool. The weather was cool. And for the woman to be coming in the middle of the day, was an important factor in understanding who she was. The, the well, there was a well in Sychar. And the women would go to Sychar and they would go to the well in Sychar and they would draw their water there and they would talk about the events of the day. They would talk about what their kids were doing. It was, it was a water cooler, literally. So they would just talk about life and things. And sometimes that would turn into gossip. Sometimes it wouldn't. But for this lady to come out of the city to a well outside of town in the hot, hottest part of the day meant that she, if she went to the well in the morning in the city, that she didn't get much water. But likely she, she didn't go to that well at all. She came outside the city, maybe even as far as a mile. And she came to get well, water out of this well because she would not have to deal with the women at the well in the city. There's a there's an escapism here. There is a, a, an insecurity here. There is, there is a fear here. There is so much drama going on in the fact that she's using a well outside the city in the heat of the day. And Jesus had to be there. 
So she came to the well to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask of me, a woman of Samaria? And, you know, because Jews don't share things in common with Samaritans, women don't, men didn't really talk to women. And Jesus said, Look, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so Jesus is here asking the woman for a drink. One of the most basic things that a person needs, that being water, but she says, I don't get it. Why are you talking to me? And Jesus said, you don't understand. If you would just, if you knew the gift of God and you knew who you were talking to right now, he would have given, he would give you living water. And the woman is confused. There's a communication barrier going on here. She doesn't understand what he's talking about. She thinks, she still thinks he's talking about actual water because she says to him, the woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Look, I want it. If I knew who you were, I would have asked you because I want living water. I would take it, but I don't know how you're going to get it, and I don't know how it's going to come from this well. And she, she goes on to ask him, are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave, you the, gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? And Jesus makes another point. A lack of communication. This, she's just not getting it. And that's okay. She doesn't understand. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water from this well, will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water, I will give them, will never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. So Jesus begins to compare waters. The literal water from the well, and then a water that Jesus could give that would become inside of them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. It's not a physical water. It is an internal, spiritual water. That leads to life that doesn't end. Now the woman, again, not figuring it out. She said, sir, give me this water so I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. And she wants this so bad because she doesn't want to have to make this trip. She's got a water jar. That water jar was clay. It was big. It would have been heavy to carry by herself. And then you add water in it, and it would have been that much more difficult to carry. So, so remember, she's dragging, she's bringing this water jar 
likely every day in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, and it's a heavy water jar, and then she fills that water jar up. It is heavier to take back, but she still makes that trip every day. And she's thinking, if I don't have to come and get this water every day, my life would be so much easier. It would be so less stressful. I would not ache and hurt from carrying this water in the middle of the day, every day. I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. So she doesn't understand. There's a communication barrier going on here. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the problem. He says to her, go and call your husband and come back. Uh, That becomes a problem. And this really may be the source of her journey to to this well every day. I've got no husband, she said. You're right, Jesus said in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Yes, Jesus. Yes, sir. I've been married five times. And I'm living with a man now. Now listen, we got to remember that only the man could grant a writ of divorce in that culture. She'd been turned down and put out by five different men. Her psyche is shot. She is hurting. She's been cast aside five times and she probably feels like she is has been used and abused likely physically, sexually, verbally. She just doesn't feel like anybody. She doesn't feel worth, and she doesn't feel like she has any worth to anyone. And we know people like that, don't we? You, it, you may feel like that. That you have no worth to anyone and you've been cast aside and nobody gives, nobody cares about you. And so you just do what you have to do to survive, don't you? There's a communication problem she has. But now we get into the heart problem. And the reality is that that Christians, we don't spend a lot of time with people like this. Myself included. I've never met someone who's been divorced five times and living with another person. I know people who 
who haven't lived um, a stellar life. But people like this, they don't have friends. And if they do, there aren't very there aren't very many of them. And I'm sure there's always those thoughts in the back of the mind, their mind of, are they my friend just to get something out of me? But Jesus did something here and that he he looked into her heart and he knew her heart and knew who she was. And he confronted her with it, but not in a condemning way. If he confronted her in a condemning way, I, I can't imagine her responding in the way she did. Or even continuing the conversation. And the woman recognized in that conversation conversation that, that Jesus was a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped... Sir, I see you that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is Jerusalem. And so there is a now a religious issue here. There's a male-female issue. There is a Samaritan-Jew issue. And now she's kind of pointing some of this out about where you worship and even how you worship And Jesus responds to her and says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You will worship, you worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus says, It's not where you worship. It's knowing who you worship. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. And so it's not where you worship. It is knowing who you worship. And how you worship. And the only qualification for, for proper worship is that it is done in spirit and in truth. It's not the kinds of songs you sing. It's not the version of the Bible you use. It's not do you sit in pews or chairs or do you come in jeans or ratty old cowboy, boot, uh, cowboy uh, clothing or the best money can buy. Do you worship in a grand cathedral? Do you worship in a storefront? Do you worship in a home? None of that matters, Jesus says. What matters is that you worship, is who you worship, and that you do it in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. The New Living Translation says, 
The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. That's what he wants. Those are the people that he wants. God is spirit. God is not a God is not a person. So that rules out celebrity worship. God is not a statue. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so Jesus has confronted this woman. She didn't understand him. Uh, she didn't understand all that he was talking about, so this communication barrier. There was a, a sin barrier. There's a worship barrier here. Or worship issues. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. So she knows a Messiah is to come. She knows the stories. And he, and the, 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 the defining factor in her mind of who that Messiah is, is someone who will proclaim all things to us. He will explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Boom. I am the Messiah. I am that person. And it must have fit in her head. Because he had just looked into her, who she was and explained to her the, 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 the primary pain points in her life and opened her up and exposed her. And she said, oh my goodness. Now, the funny thing is, is on the side... Jesus is sitting here talking to this woman and the disciples are coming back from the city. And they see him talking to a woman. They were astonished he was speaking with a woman, but they kept their mouth shut. They knew better. Because nobody said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? They just kept their mouth shut. They... They knew they didn't want to question Jesus at this point. And he, they brought back food and they see him talking to this woman and their mind must have been blown. And she saw the disciples coming. And left her water jar and went back to the city. The water jar. Let's go back to that again. It was heavy, and it was it was it was a visual and physical representation of of who she was inside and the struggles that she had. And John tells us that she left that that water jar at the well. She left it there. 
We don't know if she went back and got it or not, but she left it. We know she left it at that well. And listen, the the visible physical representation of all of her brokenness was left at the feet of Jesus. She left it. She didn't want it anymore. She wanted to let go of it all. And so she ran back to the city. And when she got back to the city, she started telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? She left her water jar. She ran back to the city and she she essentially said, I've met someone that has exposed me. And I'm letting you know that I know you know. And then I'm okay with it. And I think he's the Messiah. And so they left the city and they went out to meet him. Now the disciples, again, they knew he was tired. They knew he was hungry. And he said, they said to him, Rabbi, eat something. And he said, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. In other words, what fulfills me and fills me is seeing people being made whole. And doing what the Father instructs me to do. That's what he says in verse 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say four months more than comes the harvest? But I tell you, my friends, my disciple friends, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. And the people must have uh, the people in the city must have come and gathered and sat around and looked at him as he was talking to his disciples and they had gathered around and Jesus says, look, maybe they were still off in the distance walking to them. But he, 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 Jesus focuses those disciples' attention on the people and he says, look, the harvest field. The harvest fields are ripe. The reaper is already receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may join, rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. That's the power of the story of Jesus. We plant, we talk, we share the story of Jesus, and we might not get that opportunity to reap. Somebody else might. But one sows and another reaps. 
And many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard it ourselves and we know that this truly this is truly the Savior of the world. So let's talk about the woman's testimony. Let's wrap it up with that. When a person gets made whole, when the weight of guilt and, and pain and hurt leave a person after encountering Jesus, when they are, when that is pulled off their shoulders and that 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 yoke is unhitched from them and and given to Jesus there is a transformation in that person's life and this samaritan woman experienced that and she told that she she went and told the people in the city this uh, this person has told me everything I've ever done, and if you don't know what I've done, let me tell you what I've done. And he has he has l- let me leave it at the well. Wholeness is an incredible testimony. When people's lives are transformed, there is nothing a person can say against that transformation as it is lived out. It's the power of the testimony. It's the power of the story of Jesus that has worked in a person's life. When that can't be denied, you can't argue it. You can see the transformation. You can see the healing. You can see the work that's being done. And that person believes it is through the power of God in Christ, through the Spirit. And nothing nothing can, can deter that. You can, you can ascribe that to someone else. You can say, well, that really wasn't God. That was luck or that was karma or that was... Life, but transformation is real and a powerful aspect of the story of Jesus and the gospel. And out of that, out of her understanding that story and out of her being transformed by her encounter with Jesus, many people, believed that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Lent is this time when we become introspective and explore and examine ourselves and see those areas that we need Jesus to touch and heal. And when we acknowledge that and confess that and ask Jesus to begin the healing process and to touch 
and bring hope and wholeness. And that is transformed in our life by the Spirit of God. People see that and lives are changed as we share that aspect of our story. So Lent is an is a season of uncovering our brokenness and dealing with it and setting it aside and asking God to heal us and him moving in his spirit to accomplish that and when we do that when that happens and we are transformed and we can lay that aside people notice And the story of Jesus continues to be told. I pray this has helped you in your sermon preparation for the third Sunday of Lent, March 12th. 